everyone. What's up? What's up? Welcome to another episode of Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger, uh, also known as Astro Athens. So what's up? What's, what's everyone doing? What are you guys up to today um, on this nice, fabulous Wednesday, April 20th? Uh, it is almost Earth Day, so that, I can't believe how quickly this week went by. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. What's up? What's up, Astro KV? How you doing? Astro KV is in the house. Uh, author Lauren is here. Okay, right on. My audio doesn't sound as good as usual. What's changed? Glad you asked, Mace. Do you guys really want to know? Um, it's quite echoey because I've had to remove a rug and a beanbag chair because my cat decided to use it as a litter box. So uh, my <laughs> currently uh, my things that usually absorb echo are not in the room. So thanks. Knew someone was going to point that out. I was like just waiting for it. I was like, someone's going to be like, oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> so whatever. So just live with it for today. Um, so how you guys are doing? I hope you're doing well. I hope you can manage this strange audio circumstance that may be going on. I also just speak really loud. And so when I speak loud and that's combined with an empty room, it echoes very loudly. But if I talk quieter like this, it probably doesn't sound nearly as bad. Uh, but I'm just going to talk in my normal voice because this is, uh, you know, this is a show to talk about space, and it's really difficult to to change my voice when I talk about something I'm so passionate about and excited about. Um, so also awesome. That's reasonable. Yes, definitely. Um, things happen. This is still a kitten that I have, and she does have accidents sometimes. So um, anyway, so today's episode, I wanted us to explore the spacecraft that we mentioned for space history last week, which or last week, two days ago, Monday, um, which was the Gravity Bee Probe. And um, really interesting stuff that I was finding when I was sort of looking up this mission. And I think that what's probably going to be kind of interesting today is to sort of explore how exactly this space probe did what it did. Um, and so the, the, the basis and the um, focus of this mission was to try to prove two different theories of Einstein's general relativity. Um, if you guys don't know too much about general relativity, um, the it's, it's a very long theory that is written. Um, you could look up the actual theory and just read what was actually written. Otherwise, um, there are tons of demonstrations that can basically demonstrate some of the more basic comments or, uh, um, concepts of GR or general relativity. One of them, which is my favorite to do, is holding out like kind of a long fabric, like a T-shirt or something, and then placing various objects on it. Uh, different objects when it comes to sizes as well as densities. So some of them can be made of metal. Some of them can be made or filled with air. So they're hollow, uh, like a ping pong ball. And see how that kind of affects the fabric and see what happens. Does it bend it? Does it not really do much? Um, and then what happens when you put all the objects on? What happens then? Uh, some people might say black hole. And, and although that <laughs> isn't necessarily the case of what would happen in space is but what would usually typically happen is whatever is the probably uh, heaviest object that has the most mass so it's really dense maybe it's even large but maybe it's not large maybe it's a small ball but is like very very compact with maybe a lot of metals 
what will then happen is all the other objects will start to fall in towards it. And that's because that object is bending the fabric. It is pulling on the fabric. It is literally warping the fabric. And so this is kind of a concept to understand Einstein's prediction, which was when you have a body of mass in space, it can warp the fabric of space-time. And what that just means is it has a very strong gravitational influence that it can attract other nearby bodies uh, to then get pulled in towards it. And so uh, what we're going to kind of ex explore today, we're going to go check the comments real quick. My mind is like the fabric of space-time. It gets warped easily. <laughs> Uh, and I was going to say that's great, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe in some cases we, we want to be not so warpable, warpable. Is that a word? Warpable. Sounds like it would be. Yeah, warpable. Uh, being able to be warped. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, there, maybe there's some cases where, where maybe your mind is not so warpable. Uh, Lawrence, uh, warpable. I'm just going to use that word a lot today. Okay, so I'm on NASA's website right now to sort of explore this specific space probe and look at the two different theories, or two different parts of the theory that it was trying to confirm. Um, so it did end up confirming the two key predictions from general relativity theory. And one of them was to experiment. Um, let's see, there was two different predictions. I already, I already lost my, my place. I'll, I'll get back to it later. But um, it was designed to, to try to test a few different things in space. It launched in 2004. It used um, gyroscopes to, to measure uh, two different things. One of them was a hypothesized geodic effect or geo, geodetic, geodetic effect, which is basically the warping of space and time, like we just mentioned, um, around a gravitational body. And then the other thing is something called frame dragging which is the amount a spinning object pulls space and time with it as it rotates. This is a key thing to remember, like when stars form. We've talked about this quite a lot here on Space Talk uh, when we explore the formation of a new body. So um, either it's a star or it's a planet and it's spinning. And a lot of times that can affect other things near it to start to accumulate around it, hence creating an accretion disk or a circumstellar disk, depending on what the body is. Um, and same thing with black holes. And so this was a prediction by Einstein saying, it, you know, this is something that seems like it is what would happen in space and how can we prove this? And so this specific mission was to, to look at that and was to try to prove these two things. And what it ended up doing uh, was it actually orbited around Earth so it stayed in a polar orbit around Earth, and it then ended up looking and pointing at a specific star, which is IM Pegasi. Um, IM Pegasi is actually a variable binary star system. So two stars, and they're variable, so they will blink sometimes. They, they don't always stay the same magnitude or same luminosity. They will dip in brightness and then increase in brightness. And this happens a lot, and it's found within the constellation Pegasus. And um, because of this, uh, this is something that uh, can be used to help measure distances or help measure effects of other things that are happening in space. And even right now, when I looked up I am Pegasi, or well, not right now, but earlier, uh, it even says increased public awareness of it was due to um, this gravity probe B general relativity experiment uh, because it was used as a guide star. So. 
Um, this is something, as I mentioned before, that a lot of times will be used when you want to kind of understand perspective and distances in space, looking at certain stars that are increasing and decreasing in brightness. Once you can measure how often it's increasing or decreasing in that brightness, um, you can then determine, based on the speed of light, how far that object is away from you. Because when you measure maybe it's, its highest peak of its brightness, um, and then when that light was received to you, and then its lowest peak of its brightness, and then once it repeats the bright brightness again, you're then like, oh, okay, it's now reaching that repeated cycle. How long did it take for it to go from highest peak to lowest peak? Check that out and then be able to derive, okay, knowing that it would take this long for it to get to us, moving at that speed, at that time that it left, how long would it have taken for it to reach Earth? That must be what the distance is. Uh, there's better ways to explain it by looking at formulas, so I would recommend probably going and checking that out. Uh, but let's just go ahead and look at the chat and see what everyone is saying. Sometimes when I talk sometimes about these things, I'll just like sort of look off away from the computer or the phone and just like try to visualize these things as opposed to um, looking directly at the phone. And that is, I think, because I, I don't know about you guys, I'm a little bit more of a visual learner and, and the same way I think when it comes to explaining things sometimes. So let's see. We've got a uh, pull space time like twisting it. That's a really interesting thing to think about, like twisting it. Um, I guess, yeah, in a sense, because it's spinning and if it's, so if, if you could picture, if, if we could see gravity, um, as if it was like a green fog, I don't know why, just green fog, let's just imagine it's green fog, fog, um, and how it's affecting other things around it, we would see it stretching out from the body of whatever it is, whether it's the star or the planet. And then as that star planet's rotating, you would be seeing this fog moving with the planet as well. It's, it's emitting from all different areas of the, of the body because the whole body is, is what's producing the gravity. It's the whole body is what's allowing for gravity to even exist. And so I guess it'd be sort of stretched out in a sort of twisted manner. So that does make sense, Lauren. I like that you said that because um, if it is a spinning body, and it is attracting other things near it, the things that are, they don't get pulled in like in a straight line, they get pulled in in an orbit. And so it's spinning around this other planet. And so it's causing the circular, yeah, almost twist, a twist. And even if you guys looked at, um, if you've ever checked out sort of just like the um, orbit of the planets and the orbit of the sun or orbit, orbit of the planets around the sun, and you look at it, from like a 3D model where you get to sort of turn it on its side, you see that the sun is actually kind of spinning in a coil and all of the planets around it are also coiling. And so coil, C-O-I-L, like a, um, yeah, like a, like a spring. And so it's, it's not just sort of like staying in its own pl like plane and like a flat path. So this is kind of the thing I think that, um, is sort of a, I guess, a discrepancy with the demonstration, a GR demo of using a fabric and then placing a bunch of objects on it because it makes it look like as if it's actually a flat fabric. And, and, and 
space is really a grid um, because of, you know, we're, we're three dimensional. We're all three dimensional. Like we, we don't just operate like flat, which we get, I guess we do when we kind of walk on like a pavement, but even that is spherical. Um, when we travel, we're, we're actually, when we're traveling the globe, we're traveling spherically. And so this is something that is similar in concept with space because if you were to say take just one of those sections of the grid and cut that out then you'd be on a plane and that's usually typically what's used for the demonstration whereas if you actually look at it on like a grid scale and i'm going to pull up a gr demo um, simulation grid Let's see if we can come up with something. And I've seen something before, a really good video made by, I think, a, some university somewhere. Um, general relativity. And I'll check all your comments in just a second. And it showed, yeah, this is a new way to visualize general relativity. Um, oh my gosh, I need to get YouTube premium. All these all these ads I get, it's so funny. Oh no, I just clicked on skip trial, darn. It's okay. So um, I'm gonna see if this YouTube video is, is proper and then I'm gonna share it with you all in the chat just to sort of see if this is kind of what I, what I had in mind. Um, if it is, it's from Science Click. Alessandro, okay, so fast forward. So rather than it being on a, a plane, it shows it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is great. Okay. So I guess you guys could sort of look at this anywhere, but this is really cool. So right at about seven minutes, I want you to sort of fast forward. I'm going to copy and paste this in the chat. Look at it at just about seven minutes. Um, you don't have to do this right now. You can do this later if you'd like, but it shows if like an apple was orbiting earth and what the cross sections would look like. Um, on a grid, like so, like a matrix. Uh, and so, if we were to kind of split everything up in cubes, and then over at like about just before 10 minutes, so about like nine minutes and 50 seconds, it shows a body. Um, it's like a planet, it shows Earth, and, and what it is doing effectively to the space surrounding it. And it shows this warping of the grid lines getting pulled in by that body of mass. And then it, it goes even further, and I'm not even listening to the audio on this, um, just because I think it would probably cause some pretty bad feedback right now, on top of the already audio issue I got going on. Um, it then shows arrows pointing out, which I think would probably be representative of the gravity. Um, okay, I've got closed captionings. Yeah, this is a great video. I, I recommend checking it out. Um, Really, really cool. Okay, so let's see. Green frog. Awesome. Uh, wait, what was that in reference to? I don't even know what we were talking about. Um, and let's see, Lauren, we're wired to think that two-dimensionally, two so three-dimensionally concepts are definitely more of a struggle to wrap your mind around, in my honest opinion. And imagine seven dimensions. Imagine just four dimensions. Imagine, like, more dimensions. And this is this is, like, what's so astonishing about, I think, just theoretical physics, quantum physics is it's it's thinking in ways that we are like not really structured at our current stage of evolution to think. Um, and that's where it gets really fun. And it, I get like the best headaches when I think about those things. Um, and it's usually during like a Brian Greene lecture. Um, and, and 
or something along the lines of that. And, and that was only because of one specific circumstance where I got to catch a lecture on string theory um, at the World Science Festival, which is held in New York. I think it's in June. Maybe I can see if I want to go this year. Let's see. World Science Fest, which reminds me, we haven't done a space talk lately. We haven't done a... Um, like an event we usually will do like once a week we'll talk about like different space and science events that are happening in different cities around the world and I think all we did was LA and Austin we got to do New York next so I'm gonna go ahead and just write that down all right New York space events so if anyone is in New York I recommend going to the space sorry the world science festival space science festival is really fun too but World Science Fest. Um, looking it up real quick to see when it's happening. So this is, oh wow, they've got events happening all the time. So they got one cup coming up on April 28th, which is Lifespan Expanded, Whoa, the scientific quest for a fountain of youth. That sounds really awesome. Uh, moderated by Brian Green. Participants are Elisa Eppel, Nir Barzilia, Laura Neardrum-Hoffer, and David Sinclair. Um, and they have other programs, Decoding the Brain. Oh, this is so cool. I'm going to bookmark this page. I haven't been on the World Science Fest website in a while. Um, so anyway, hello, everyone. Okay, so let's see. I got to watch this whole video. I have never seen a visualization, visualization like that before. Hector, yeah, super, super cool. I, I definitely recommend checking out that video and infinite dimensions uh loki yeah um joshua yeah that's that's something i think that really starts to like challenge just even our own existence right like our understanding of our own existence um and and then just different dimensions because that's where things get really weird uh is there are on these different kinds of levels of i guess who knows if it's the same existence that we're currently in, but just seen or experienced through a, a different uh, format, or if it's a totally different existence altogether. Um, I think it's more so the first one that, than the last one from, from, I think, just whatever I've sort of heard as far as lectures go and any time I've listened in from somebody. And so that's where it gets really interesting. Um, there was one more thing I was going to mention, and I don't remember what it was. It was about general relativity but either way um how are you guys doing i know that this 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 got a little bit uh into a a really fun topic i would say but it also can be very uh confusing as well if, i mean I, I don't know maybe i just sound, sound a little bit confused in my own mind um there are a ton of different sites too that are different what different uh youtube videos i'm finding right now i'm gonna touch another link in the chat and send this one along because I think y'all might enjoy that as well. This is the real source of gravity uh, might surprise you. This is from the Science Asylum. I'm not sure if I really like the sound of this uh, YouTube channel, but that's okay. Um, and this could also be like a really, really fun video to watch. This is something what we think about. I've read it in Death by Black Hole, a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson that sort of talks about space and time and why they're always considered to be overlapping. And it's only because in our human existence, we haven't experienced space without time. Like we haven't experienced or even time without space. And um, 
well, I guess what I mean by that is like, if I said to you guys, Hey, meet me in, you know, Los Angeles. Okay. When, when should I meet you? You know, April 22nd at 4 PM, like Pacific time. And there's always this, this inter integration between space and time. And so it's like to fathom that one can exist without the other is, is like just not possible right now for us. I think, um, the, where it gets really interesting is the no boundary proposal by Stephen Hawking. Um, by far, uh, like, you know, I, I think there's still research being done about it, around it after uh, Stephen Hawking passed away, rest in peace. Um, but I also definitely not, not an expert on that at all, but read a lot about it because I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I've made a few different YouTube videos about it, but I want to see if there's been any recent publications about this. Let's see. There's been an article that came out in 2021, but still. But it basically talks about, like, the potential for there never being a Big Bang, uh, but instead that there was a an existence of space before time had been initiated somehow, you know, for really, because the Big Bang is sort of the signal of the start of space and time. That's when time started counting. That's when space started to grow. Um, but his proposal was saying that that never was the case, but, but instead there might have always been a finite area of space, so physical space of some sort, but it had no boundaries. So imagine like a, an upside down bowl and, um, you know, when you're on the bowl, it, it sort of just falls off. There's no edge. It just sort of falls off, like, from the top. So it's it's a curved half sphere. And um, this is kind of just how, how I guess I sort of process this. And so it's as if it, there was always something that had existed. And then something had happened cosmologically that had caused an expansion to happen. And when this expansion happened is when the cat, I guess this some type of universal clock began. Um, but even that's interesting, right? Because time as we process it as humans, is very different than how time is processed for a fruit fly. And that's very different than how time is processed for a red giant star or a galaxy. And like, this just just really gets so interesting. And so if you go all the way down below, like smaller to the si smaller than the size of our atoms, so going now down to like quantum particles, you have this like quantum realm, this this type of like reality where um, does this stuff really exist for for those types of uh, those those types of quantum particles? And, and that's, that's, I think, kind of the, the crazy thing around it. Um, so, again, I am by no means an expert in this. So I recommend listening to lectures. Um, I'm going to pull up a lecture for you all because I watched, um, gosh, I watched some really good lectures a while ago. I'm going to see if I can find any. Um, quantum physics, I'm just literally going to type that on YouTube. But I feel even if you just type that, it would be really fun. I've watched this, the quantum theory full documentary. This is kind of old, 2014. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share this in the chat as well. And Mace Starwalk says, I thought the Big Bang was the expansion of the observable universe in space, not the beginning of space itself. That's a really, really great point. Yes. And 
is the fact that we can observe it, does that mean that that's the only space that's existed? Or does it mean that there was space before that, but we just couldn't observe it? Possibly. Possibly. That's, I think that that's, that's something really interesting to think about because like maybe there's like other forms of just, yeah, you know, like how like we, we didn't really know about gamma rays. We didn't know about x-rays and, and then we discovered this stuff. We like found out it existed. Um, maybe there's something more out there that, that would have detected and shown us that there actually was more space before the observable universe. Um, even that's interesting to, to sort of say. Uh, I'd be I'd be curious to hear more from you, Mace. If you if you want to call in, just let me know. You can comment that in the chat. Because um, that's yeah, I guess that, that's where it would get like really really interesting. Because um, yeah, the the cosmic microwave background radiation is has been observed. That was from WMAP Observatory, and and that is like leftover evidence of the Big Bang. So it shows that there was something that had happened, but then was there something before that? Was there not? Um, and so maybe that is what's more more tied into the no boundary proposal is that there 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 was a lot. I don't know. It's it's yeah. Again, it's so I'm like I feel like I'm getting lost in my own thought. I definitely this needs to be a two way conversation. So I'm definitely going to look up maybe maybe some different people we could bring on here um, to to chat about these things. Uh, some other interesting literature, if you haven't read, uh, I'm sure a lot of you probably have already read this book. It's it's pretty well known, but Parallel Worlds by Michio Kaku, uh, very interesting book. Also, um, to, to think there was a panel of Michio Kaku, Kaku uh, panel, oh gosh, with like Brian Greene and a few other... <laughs> A few other people. So so that would be a really fun one for you guys to watch if you haven't seen that yet either. Um, so just I'm just going off in this in this like in my own tangent. Here we go. Open culture. I'm going to share this link. Here we go. And then I'm going to jump back into this probe, even though there isn't too much more to say about that. Astro KV also might tend it might tend to the possibility that there was a universe way before the Big Bang. Yeah. Right. What if there's just been multiple universes that are forming over and over and over again? And this, this is why the multiverse theory is is an existence right, that we think, you know, like that. This is why it exists amongst the human thought, the, the human thought experiments. This is something that um, all these types of questions are, are what arise. This this conversation we're having all of your, your comments in the chat is exactly what people before us and people currently at the same the same time as us right now are asking the same questions um and then trying to answer it uh predominantly through mathematics um and now i think uh especially with um uh, uh from wolfram from from stephen wolfram's perspective um just using computers like multi-computational paradigm like this this understanding that we don't need to use mathematics as much to sort of prove or understand the the real world the reality or life around us but maybe we can actually deeply understand that in a in a deeper sense through computers and on top of that multi-computational paradigm i'm actually going to pull this up really quick because i want to talk about it for a second computational paradigm uh twitter stephen wolfram 
Um, I saw this tweet by him recently, and um, here we go. This is really great. This was back in, this was September 9th, 2021, and his tweet says, a major spinoff from our Wolfram physics with potential to revolutionize quite a few fields, introducing multi-computational, a multi-computation as a fourth general paradigm for theoretical science. Very important, if not easy to understand. I'm going to go ahead and copy this and attach it also in the chat. He does uh, link also a, uh, let's see, this is a write-up that he did as well, but I think I want you guys to look at this sort of diagram that he put together um, and shared. And I'm not going to read this whole thing right now. Um, I read it completely on my own, but I encourage you guys to all read it. It's very long, but it's also very informational. And I do think it's pretty straightforward and, and not too difficult to understand. So he looks at this and says structural, mathematical, computational, and multi-computational. And these are sort of the, the, I think, the evolution of human thought and understanding of the reality around us. And structural is like geometrical elements, explicit time, not considered, uh, static facts deduced by reasoning. And then, so so basically like, understanding oh gosh what what even was this again i have to brief myself on that i'm trying to remember what this was um yeah and then mathematical 1600s differential equations time as mathematical coordinate so this is when now we looked at space and time so time is a very valuable variable to consider find behavior at any time from a formula and oh man i I want to remember the, the structural again. I haven't talked about this in a while. And then computational uh, cellular automata. That's also something uh, I think you should, should check out. Just scroll down a little bit. Multi-way systems and concept of multi-computation shows cellular automata. Uh, and so it's basically showing like, okay, if you have this set of rules and you have like three shaded blocks and one non-shaded block, and every time there's a shaded block in the next stage, it'll equal an unshaded block. So you could go through this and you could even do simulations. You could create, create this online as well. But it's basically showing that for a certain rule set, you'll have to follow that rule. Um, and every time it wants to favor the rule that will lead to uh, it not dying. So like, you wouldn't want it to reach all non-shaded squares because then that means that the program has ended. And, you know, similarly with life forms, we need food, we need water and, you know, maybe shelter. Right. Uh, but if you're missing one of those variables, uh, it'll lead eventually to empty squares or dying as human existence. Um, so that, <laughs> again, that's how I'm processing this. Um, I encourage you all to read this and maybe you guys can sort of get your own grasp on it. Uh, I, I got to definitely look through all of this again. It's it's not an easy thing to, I think, explain except for by Wolfram himself. So definitely, definitely read that. Check it out. Um, that is the tweet that I shared. This is the actual writing. I'm going to share that in the chat as well. Um, so definitely out of my, my specific field of expertise, but this is why it's really important to, I think, interview uh, these, these types of individuals. And uh, I did do it, get to do an interview with him. That should be, uh, I'll be able to announce soon. So let's see, Lord, uh, our universe volume is 7,395 of an infinite volume of a book series. 
and a library of other book series of infinite volumes conceptually. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's something that feels like it could just keep going and going and going. Um, I'm looking at this, this diagram. I just want to say one more thing about this, the multi-computational. So now it's like many computational threads of time. So it's from how I'm processing this, it's as if the timeline, the coordinate of time that was put on like a coordinate scale. So picturing like, you know, one arrow going up is space, one arrow going to the right is time. It can now get split into multiple different threads of time. And through each thread of time, a different outcome can happen. And this is multi-computational. Multi so this, this would be like what we can do with computer systems this is what we can do with like programs that are able to run all these different various simulations because this is what they literally do this is why we create models this is why we create simulations um and, and this is what i think is really interesting is that it can, can tie it to like sort of the reality and concept of the real world and is that what can potentially is that reflective of of what's actually maybe going on maybe you know alternate realities most likely like you know, for sure, there's tons of different realities. I could choose to drink some water right now, or I could choose not to drink some water right now. I could choose to end space talk. I could choose to keep it on. And so all these different possibilities, and there's an infinite number of possibilities. Um, but as humans, we have no choice but to exist along one possibility. But that can change at any given time. But we have to make that active change, right? Or other things can make that active change, like... Uh, climate change, for instance, or like, you know, a natural disaster or, um, you know, when COVID happens, like, you know, the government shut down establishments, we have to quarantine. And so this is something we had to do. And, and that changed our trajectory for that year. Um, so this is really interesting. And so uh, I think that his theory around this, um, around kind of where we're heading is to process this need model of observer to determine state, be able to see all the different possibilities that can happen through using computer programs, but you need an observer such as you, me, or anyone else who's conscious to then make that observation. And then that's what determines the reality or the output, which is just like quantum, right? The quantum world, superposition of particles, which is a, you know, if, if a quantum particle, there's a potential for it to be in two places, at the same time until an observation is made and then you determine, okay, is it in this box or is it in the, this box? So it's not, yeah, it's, it's just really, yeah, really, really, really interesting. I'm going uh, uh, to pause there because I do feel like I'm probably over, over like speaking a lot of different things right now and on, on tons of different topics. So um, hope you're all doing well. I hope that wasn't too uh, too heady for you all, but I, I think that this is really something fun that I would love to sort of take on more and actually talk with other people about. So I will for sure maybe bring on some special guests um, in this field. I'm going to do a few, do a, few uh, a little bit of research and see who else I could bring on. And let's see, one more thing comes from, uh, let's see, Joshua, I didn't get to read your message till now, your comment, does all matter of consciousness and thus inform creation of the original and the next universe thought experiment. Love the nerding out. Oh my gosh. See, now I want to just keep going about this because that is, that's really interesting. It's, I think that there's been 
I'm pretty sure the answer is no, as far as all matter have consciousness, because um, I think that there's like different levels of consciousness from what I've been understanding, like, like plant life has a different kind of understanding of its, of, of what it is and where it is um, than we do. It doesn't mean that maybe it doesn't because it probably does. We just communicate and comprehend it differently than it does. I was watching uh, this nature documentary last night and I, I love nature documentaries, but it was, um, I think it was just called our planet and it was with uh, David Attenborough uh, uh, as, a, as the narrator. And it was, there was like this moment where it was just like under the ocean and it was like looking at all these different fish and dolphins and stuff. And dolphins and whales both work together as a team to feed or to, I guess, hunt and get their fish. And they do these really cool twirls in the ocean where they will create a fog layer of like the sand so they'll cause the sand to kind of cause an uprising and they'll um they'll trap a bunch of little fish within this circle so this way the fish have nowhere else to go but jump up out of the water and then when they're flipping out of the water this is the opportunity for all the dolphins to jump in and all start feeding and it's these beautiful circles and there was a, a drone view of the shallower waters and it showed all these circle patterns that were left over by the dolphins from them feeding. And it just made me think about how they communicate and same thing with whales. They do something very similar where they kind of trap in their prey and they work together as a team as opposed to sharks who all just fight. They all just fight each other. It's like really kind of funny to watch this. Really recommend watching Our Planet. It's on Netflix. And um, uh, and, and, and the thing is, like, they're conscious, right? Like, they're, they're communicating with each other. But we're watching these fish, other, you know, the small fish, maybe like the rainbow fish or the, the tropical fish, just kind of like, you know, just, just swimming around. Just their eyes are looking around, but we don't see their mouths moving. We don't see them talking. We don't see them really gesturing much. They're really limited. Even my cat, all she can say is meow, but in like slightly different tones. So it's like, is she actually communicating? Like, can she speak such a colorful language like we can in all of our human languages? There's so many languages. It's incredible. Um, that humans have evolved to and have invented and on top of that, mathematics and now computer programming, all these various languages and spoken languages. And so it makes you think about um, these these creatures, these animals, and kind of just like how they are uh, communicating with each other. And is their level of consciousness the same as ours, but we just identify differently than they do. And so we have this sort of barrier with between us and them. So that's that. Um, very, very funny. Uh, today is 420. 420. Tomorrow's the 21st, or I guess I know that Astro KV is actually on a different time zone, so you're on the 21st. And then Earth Day is the 22nd, so Friday. Um, yeah, today ended up being a very interesting episode. It all started with specifically talking about the Gravity B probe, uh, Gravity Probe B. And of course, it was around Einstein's theory of general relativity, which of course would make you just start to think and explore all these other realms of science. And this time I actually kept all my tabs open. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just copy and paste all these tabs and right away put it in the caption here um, so that you all have it. Um, and I'm going to have to change the title too for this episode because it ended up being like five minutes about the Gravity Pro B. And then the rest of it was about just like 
alternate realities and all this other really fun stuff. Um, I think animals communicate with all senses, even ones we don't use or have magnetic in a way that we can't understand. Yeah. So this is why they say to punch a shark in its nose because it literally can detect uh, an electromagnetic field around it. And on top of that, stingrays and eels, they can literally generate electric currents. I think, I think that's what, that's what it is with eels, uh, electric, uh, let's see, let's see, We're looking this up real quick, electric eel, oh my gosh, it's so creepy looking, by the way, they look like dinosaurs, uh, and a lot of these animals, like, like whales, look like just giant underwater dinosaurs, and, um, turtles, too, um, they can stun their prey by generating electricity, yeah, wow, I mean, that's just, that's, that's like, that's really far out, man, okay, anyway, Alrighty, everyone. Well, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Um, I hope you all get to go outside and look up at the stars and do some stargazing and check out um, maybe some of the objects that are visible this week. And otherwise, yeah, have a great rest of your Wednesday. Um, I hope you all get to, um, I don't know, just explore some of this stuff. I will send all these links through. Spend some time just immersing yourself in in some of these theories because I think it really can be just so uh, expansive for our minds. And that's what I love most is expanding our minds. Hector, you captured M51 earlier this week. Oh, that is so, so exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. I'll have to check it out. Um, I'm pretty sure that you have shared it already somewhere or posted it. So I will definitely keep a lookout for that. All right, everyone, um, have a wonderful rest of your day. And until next time, ad astra.